Whether you like it or not, Internet, we're doing a <gasps> show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 98, listener feedback number four, recorded June 9th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. That's right, we have enough feedback to once again do a listener feedback show. I think that's four months in a row that we've been able to do one at least once a month. We were uh, sort of talking about what the topic was going to be. And frankly, we didn't have anything, uh, and so we we I, I was like, all right, let me go ahead and put together the notes that I can. And we do the listener feedback section, and there's more listener feedback, and there's more. Hey guys, guess what? This is going to be a listener feedback show because if we do all this and try to do something else, it's going to be a four hour podcast. And the guys, of course, I'm speaking to are the ever present command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hi, Chris. Hello, everyone in Internet Land, and how is everyone? And the uh, almost always here, maybe now from now on, gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hi, Seth. Hey, Mark. Welcome, Element OP Faithful. We are happy to have you back for three, count them, three weeks in a row. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I listened to uh, the episode where uh, you, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The the one where I muted my burps on yes, the mic, but yes. not. The, the first, I was I was drinking something, just like a glass of water. The first time I heard myself do that, and I almost spit it out because it was so funny. So, you know, I mean, I don't want to do that again, but hopefully, everybody laughed at it um, as much as I did when I hear it when I heard it. But I was not feeling good that day and uh, it turned out very funny when i heard it later on yes what well, the episode 96 will henceforth forever be known as the burpisode uh, <laughs> I, I had some good ones too and um yeah, yeah. uh middle schoolers all over the world will be playing that back for uh for uh inspiration in their burping contest but anyway enough of that um i was reminded yesterday that I'm not a kid anymore. In fact, just today, <laughs> one of my friends that I graduated high school with, uh, in my she was in my graduating class, posted a picture of her daughter in her high school graduation cap and gown. And I thought, how is that possible? How how is it possible for somebody my age to be old enough to have a kid graduating high school? And then yesterday, I took my kids, who are much younger, by the way, out to uh, a landmark here in Georgia known as Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain is a big chunk of rock, hence the name Stone Mountain, the largest granite formation in the known world. Uh, it's it is 889 feet, I think it is, above uh, ground and 10 miles below ground. Just a big, oh, solid gross. chunk of granite. So we, it's this whole big thing. They have the cable car that goes up, and there's a there's a laser light show, and it was it's great. There's all sorts of stuff to do there. We uh, we left yesterday morning. Went to see a movie with the kids and then headed out to there and met some friends at Stone Mountain and came back. Uh, by the time we got home, it was about after, after midnight. By the time we got the kids, you know, we had to scrape off the mountain because they were filthy. 
um, and get them in bed. And then we got in bed ourselves at about one. The alarm clock went off this morning for church, and I realized I'm not a kid anymore. Used to be able to do that sort of stuff. But I tell you, I feel like I went 10 rounds with the champ. I am beat up. <laughs> my back hurts. My knees hurt. Climbing up the rocky terrain of the mountain and, and dragging lawn chairs and ice uh, coolers and ice chests. I, yeah, they don't call them ice chests anymore. That's sort of a 70s term. Coolers and stuff. So um, it was just one of those eye-opening experiences. I am, in fact, 41 years old and probably uh, uh, have the body of a 70-year-old. <laughs> so anyway that's my story for the week stone mountain georgia check it out it's worth it's it's uh i believe it's it's either a state park or a national park um i'm not sure which and they have a big uh it's the what they call the largest stone carving in the world they're kind of cheating a little bit they say it's bigger than mount rushmore and that's if you count the sort of frame that they carved out around it but anyway uh it's general grant general lee and general uh stonewall jackson uh, three Confederate heroes carved into the side of a mountain. And then they have a, a laser light show that they actually project on the mountain because this face of the mountain is like 85 degrees straight up. And so they project an image right on the mountain and do the, the lasers and fireworks and stuff. And if you're in the area, check it out. Cost that 10 bucks. exciting. Cost 10 bucks to get in the park and you can have fun all day. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. Stone Mountain's cool and I'm old. The next. <laughs> oh, poor Mark is old. <laughs> we'll laugh about that all day long, Mark. Well, fortunately, it's late in the evening, so you won't have long to laugh oh, about it. Oh. Well, Not I for do. you, yeah. You, it's only what five thirty for you. Six, six thirty. I can, I can yeah. never get time. I stink at time zone math. So anyway, well, that's all right. Everyone has their problems. <laughs> oh, and and Dowdle's asking the chat room what movie I went to see. Yes, I went to see Epic. Um, my kids enjoyed it and I'll leave it at that. Well, that's good considering it's usually marketed at kids. That's yeah. a good thing that your kids liked it. But if you go to a Pixar movie, that's, that's a movie everybody can enjoy. Epic is a movie oh, your yeah. kids will like. If you know, well, that's good. That's I'll, I'll have to make sure that when Epic comes to Glendive, you know, you know, like six months from now, <laughs> we'll, I'll take my the kids to theater. it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, let us know uh, when your son graduates how it was. <laughs> so it's either you guys do anything bad, worthwhile this weekend or this week? No, not at all. Um, no, no, I went and saw Iron Man 3, which... Oh, um, just now seeing that. Yeah, I don't know. I was... Uh, I mean, of course, you know, the the spectacle was nice, but I was kind of let down by the movie. And uh, I don't know. It just It just... They seem to have, like, the first one I really, really liked, and the second one had some good action in it, and the third one had some good action, but it didn't seem plausible to me in the Iron Man canon, so. I, I, I think it goes one, three, two in in order of good moviness. I think the first one was really good, the second one was really bad, and the third one was in between. That's my, the, the la if you strike the last seven minutes of that movie, it instantly becomes a much better movie. Of, well, of three, yes. for, uh, Iron Man three. Yeah, yeah, I, w I would agree with that because Iron Man is supposed to be well. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I don't don't go there. Spoilers, no spoilers. So. Even though it's been out for a month, no spoilers. I have yet to see it, so no spoilers, please. 
<laughs> hasn't made it to Canada yet. No, not quite yet. Um, hey, Chris, have you seen? Um, they came out with this movie recently called Ghostbusters. Has that made it out there? <laughs> yes, yes, I have seen Ghostbusters. And Nobody so, steps uh, on a church in my town. <laughs> I had to laugh though today. We we're sitting in sitting in the living room, uh, just sitting with the family, kind of talking and hanging out together. And lo and behold, what comes on the TV? But Short Circuit Two. Oh, and I was like, yeah. "Really? This is now on the TV? Oh my goodness! I haven't seen this since it was in theaters. When I actually saw it in theaters, and I was kind of laughing about it the entire time." Yeah, I, I Johnny Five. I have Short Circuit and Short Circuit Two that I picked up in like the five dollar DVD bin at the grocery store one day. Um, and I put it on, and I thought I loved this movie when I was you know twelve. Um, right, I'm, I'm right. gonna pop it in here, and I'm gonna let my ten year old watch it with me. It'll be it'll be fun. It'll be a bonding moment. Um, and we got it doesn't three fun. minutes into the movie, and the language was so bad. I was like, I don't remember this. So they they haven't watched it. I mean, it was like seventeen f bombs in the first scene. And I, how did I, I don't remember this. Steve Gutenberg <laughs> wasn't a potty mouth, but apparently he was. I just I filtered that out of my brain. So that that goes on the list of things. There's a long list of movies that I'm anxious to show my kids when they're old enough. They're just not ready yet. <laughs> um, Iron Man is on that list. Love Iron Man, but uh, my kids are are you know I, I'm not making parental judgments about other people who let their young kids see it. My kids don't respond well to violence. Uh, so none of the uh, the only Marvel movie they've seen is Thor, which is actually very tame in comparison to all the others. Uh, there's a couple of monsters yeah. and then the big robot. And yeah, that's really about it. Uh, and even that they, they didn't handle with. So handle well. So, you know, anyway, wow. Yeah. When we were watching Chronicles of Narnia and they got the big battle scene, they, they made me fast forward it. They didn't want to watch that. Uh, wow. That's, you know, for this day and age, that's kind of in, that's refreshing that, you know, they didn't like that much violence. Some people would say I'm overprotective of my children, but my philosophy is that the the world will rob them of their innocence far too soon as it is. I don't need to help. Uh, right. So I have I have guarded them. I've let them tell me what they're ready for as much as possible, and and as a result, I think I have fairly mature children for their age. Uh, and when they don't want to watch something, when they know something isn't appropriate for them, or might give them a bad dream later on, they just tell me, "Daddy, I don't want to watch this," or they'll uh, even. Like if you're watching some family movie uh, or family TV series, um, Wipeout, right, uh, on mm -hmm. ABC or whatever it is, clearly a show aimed at kids. The commercials for that will be for a movie of the week about a serial killer who pulls people's guts out through their nose. And it's like, wait a minute, what? the commercials are worse than the show. And so they've, um, they've sort of trained themselves to cover their ears and close their eyes, and, and I reach for the fast forward button as quickly as possible. Um, anyway, I don't know how we got off yeah. on that. <laughs> we always fall off the, the rails anyway, so yes. I'm sure everyone's used to it by now. As I frequently say, this is the only Linux show on the internet that isn't really about Linux. It's about three guys who well, happen to use Linux. You know, it's kind of like a, one of my favorite sports shows to listen to, and whenever I'm driving and stuff, is uh, Colin Cowherd. 
because he talks about life in the context of sports, whereas all the other shows seem to just talk about sports and you can only handle four or five minutes before you just want to turn them off. But he's interesting because he's talking about life in the context of sports. And uh, I think you so just totally gave me the new tagline for this show. Everyday Linux life in the context of Linux. I love it. Yeah, yeah cool. Worked. Go us. It's even alliterative. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I was uh, one of the things at the Laser Show uh, last night. Um, they did a tribute to all the Atlanta sports teams, and there's a lot of them. There's uh, Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, Hockey, uh, Basketball, um, um, MLS, Major League Soccer. Uh, there's there's lots of uh, teams, and and <laughs> every time they did it, somebody was yeah. Or, or boo or you know it was a big thing and at the end of it when all everything everything was over i went go sports because <laughs> <laughs> that's really all the input i had about any of that gay balls being thrown at people <laughs> yeah you couldn't stop there <laughs> Yeah, you had to finish that one off, and Murph. That would have been really bad. Could you imagine that taking out of contest? <laughs> well, that's because some of them use pucks. So, you know, I can't just say yay balls. So moving on to tech news, uh, our resident number uh, finder-in-chief has gone to netmarketshare.com and answered the questions, how are our favorite distributions uh, and operating systems doing in the world? Of numbers, Windows 8 is rocketing up to almost reach Vista. <laughs> almost. <laughs> After eight months, Windows 8 is rapidly approaching uh, Vista-level adoption. Um, Microsoft's worst operating system ever has yet to catch its second worst <laughs> operating system ever. So 4.27% of desktop computers, according to net market share, are running Windows 8. And uh, versus 4.51 for Windows Vista, but and they are still Linux. trouncing our beloved Linux. Yes, but Linux is slowly edging back up. It is now up to 1.26 percent, so um, a gain of five one hundredths of a percent from the last month. So, <laughs> you know, we keep that up. We'll gain a percent every year and a half, and our grandkids, well, y'all's grandkids, because I don't think I'll ever have any. <laughs> well. <laughs> We'll see Linux adoption overtake Mac or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, after after the company goes bankrupt and defunct and doesn't make anything more, then Linux will take over. I, you know, I just Linux on the desktop is a hard sell, and it always will be. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, people don't want to tinker, and Linux is for people who like to tinker. You know, you just want something that works because you're not a computer expert. You just want to use the tool. You don't want to have to assemble the tool pre-built. It's like, do you want to, would you go to Walmart and buy this box of metal and plastic components that you had to come home and assemble to make a bicycle? Or would you go and pay the extra 20 or $30 to get a pre-assembled bicycle? And unfortunately, well, I mean, that that's probably the analogy for linux right you know but, but yeah and, say, uh, Seth, that would very the, much um, depend on who you're ahead, talking Chris. to because i was gonna say Seth, that that would very much depend on who you're talking to because i know myself and about eh, 15 other people in town that would much rather bring the parts home and assemble it than to uh pay for someone else to do it 
You know how many people would rather do that? Roughly 1.26% of the market, (laughs) which is why Linux sits at 1.26% desktop share. Because we have saturation in the tinkerer department. I I really think we do. And until there's that breakout thing that cool must have app or that must have experience, then, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Apple didn't invent the mobile music hard drive based player they just marketed it really well and um and they're the ones who took off the market uh so you know linux that's it's going to have to be something like that but uh and in the mobile front apple shows and this is this is a weird thing between the iphone and ipad over 50 percent of usage comes from that and android 4 is edging up slowly but it's only eight percent so I don't think the actual install bases are that lopsided. I think just people who have their Apple devices use them a heck of a lot more to access um, stuff over the web than Android people do. What do you well, think and, about and that? Well, and the Android, they're skewing the numbers at Android 4X. There's still, right. there's still a lot of Android earlier out there, a lot. Um, yeah, but it, it wasn't a lot. I mean, by when you added in two, it jumped it up, and the other versions, it, it didn't quite double that number. Okay. So it, it was still less than 15%. So over a three-to-one edge between the iDevices and the Android devices in terms of usage. Now, like I say, I don't really think that would bear witness to the numbers that are out right. there, but yeah there's I people. then there's the how how do you determine usage and often that's by mobile browsers uh right and is generally how they do that so the android kicks the crap out of apple in sales quarter over quarter year over year however you measure it but right um it seems that a lot of those devices may be in warehouses somewhere yeah right. well and you know in the you know if you add up apple numbers they have 50 percent of usage but safari is like 60 percent of the mobile browser market and android is like 21 so and opera is 10 so i don't know if a lot of apple people installed opera or something but yeah it was just kind of weird and one thing that i found puzzling was that ie still has almost 55 percent of the desktop market and Firefox is still number two at 20, and Chrome is number three at 19. So as much as everybody seems to love Chrome, more people or Firefox still gets more use. And those least, numbers uh, are telling because if you add up the next two, they don't equal, well, just over half of the, the number one. IE right. is incredibly dominant, largely because of, of businesses and, and right. um, intranets more than internets. Uh, but right. you know, at, at my work, for example, uh, IE is the browser. End of discussion. Uh, I have mm. Firefox on my machine, but it's Firefox portable that I you know run from a flash drive because right. I can't install Firefox. Actually, I can install it, but there's a script that runs uh, every it's either every night or every other night that uninstalls all unapproved uh, software. It actually goes through every machine in the enterprise and runs the install script on anything that's not on a pre-approved list. So, you know, assuming my employer of 10,000 people is similar to every other employer of 10,000 people and above, that's the reason IE is dominant. Not because people actually use it, 
but because that's the one that IT, IT departments can control. Right. Yeah, and that it's true. You can control it, um, you know, because most, most shops are Active Directory based, which is Microsoft, and tons of plugins in IE to allow you to use uh, to manage and control, like, third-party browser extensions, right. um, tons of settings in there, whereas with Firefox, there isn't an easy way to control that through Active Directory, and the same with Chrome. And, you know, I'm sure there are other tools, but that's one more tool that an overworked IT staff would have to install, right. learn, and manage. And it goes way beyond that with IE. It can control, um, you know, you can spoof SSL certificates, and you can, you can like, for example, if you, at my company, um, if you look up any SSL certificate, it's uh, issued by, quote-unquote, my company uh, with the guy who works two floors up from me, Pete. His name's on it. Um, so they have, they've designed their own root certificate, and so if I go to Google.com, they're intercepting that. They're getting a proper Google certificate, decrypting it, handing it, uh, looking at it, and then passing it on to me and giving me the little lock in the browser that says this is an encrypted site, even though it's not. Uh, totally okay to do that. Totally legal. It's their internet. It's their computer I'm using. I don't have a complaint about it, but IE is the only one that lets them do that. Right. Yep. And so I just don't check my mail at work. And if I do, I use my phone. Because, um, I mean, at that point, they can literally see everything clear text, including my passwords and uh, and, and all data. And, and not that I, I mean, I know the IT guys. I work technically in the IT department. I, I don't distrust any one of them. But why give them my LastPass password if I don't have to, you know? Exactly. Right. Anyway. Moving on, well, Foxconn um, has decided that they're going to make Firefox OS hardware, maybe. Yeah, um, they announced that um, they're going to be – they seem to really like it because, I, I don't know, lots of people – see, I, I haven't read a lot of bad stuff online about the Firefox OS – but I mean, remember last week we talked about Apple starting to uh, throw some of their i or i devices off to I can't remember the name of it. It sounded like it looked like Pentagon, but and I you know, but I wonder if this is kind of in in response to that or if their thought of this is kind of what brought that on. So I think that they're you know they're a chip manufacturer and they'll manufacture chips for anybody who wants chips. I think that's right. Yeah. To it. It'll be interesting to see how, if the Firefox OS actually takes hold anywhere. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of diehard Firefox guys who are going to jump all over it. Um, but that just makes me wonder, is the market available for them? You know, this, this is kind of late to the ball game. Yeah. So my thinking is the Firefox OS at this point would have to be unbefreaking leaveable to get me to get over the inertia of Android because I, I made the move from Blackbeard to Android f three or four years ago. I have, I'm in that ecosystem. I live there. I, you know, I, I, I mainline the Google Kool-Aid on a regular basis. Um, you know, it's it, they, the only one they can't bring something out. That's as good. It can't even be a little better. It has to be 10,000% better before I'm even going to consider it because of inertia. And and I, I worry about that. Not that I don't think that the Fire the Mozilla team can produce a good product. I believe they can. I love Firefox, and it's still my primary browser. Uh, but I just think that it, they can't make it good enough to overcome uh, inertia. Yeah. 
And Dottle bring Dottle brings up a good point in the chat room here that he's saying that you know the ball game is still pre-release. Cell phones are nothing to pair compared to what they're going to be in five to ten years from now. You know, and he's very true. Uh, I read somewhere that you know the American populace don't use their phones near to the capacity that say somebody, one of the kids in Japan or in China do. So that brings up another thing: what happens when our kids use them as heavily as the foreign kids do? Uh, it, can our network handle that load? Uh, I don't think it can. So it'll be interesting to see what happens too with the with the market as these these new um, cell phone OSs become more and more uh, mainline and, and ready ready for everyone to use instead of in these beta and alpha stages. I, I think it's really not even fair to call them cell phones or cell phone OSs because the the phone part of the phone is the part that's least used uh, by pretty much anybody. You, you use them as, right. a, as a browsing device, as a, as a communication device, but uh, nobody makes calls anymore. Only us old guys make calls. Um, I, I think I've told the story on this on this show before. My uh, daughter was on the phone. She had it had it on speakerphone with one of her friends because she likes to walk around the house with her phone on speaker just to make sure she annoys the maximum number of people. Um, and her <laughs> friend, I heard her say, "Hey, let's just hang up and text because this this whole communicating thing that's not working for me. Let's hang up. Let's disconnect our real time conversation and just text." Okay, and that's and what you, they did. You know, I was reading um, T-Mobile has come out with a smartphone plan, um, unlimited data for $30 a month. You get like five gigs of uh, at 4G speed, and then they throttle it, and unlimited messaging, but just 100 voice minutes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, and that's that's the way, you know, I look at my phone and sometimes I don't use much over a hundred minutes, if that much in a month. Um, but yeah, so that's probably the way to go. Uh, or, I mean, you know, I don't know, but it's, it's what you're saying is true. It's like the cell phone is, yeah, it's not really a phone anymore. It's a personal computing device. And, um, I didn't put this in the links because I, I I couldn't find where I had the link, but it's like Microsoft and Nokia, you know, granted they still have no market share, but it's like their market share is doubled. Um, and you know, so some, so a Firefox takes a long view, start out slow. And if it just slowly gains ground, you know, you get five or 10% of the cell phone market. You can sustain a company because there's a right. lot of smartphones out there. And uh, we'll we'll move on from this because we've got a couple of listener-generated cell phone uh, stories coming up. So welcome to Everyday Phone. Uh, let's move <laughs> on to the fact that the Humble Indie Bundle, the next version, comes out with 11, count them, 11 Linux games. Yes. This is an awesome, awesome bundle. So if, if you are a, a Linux gamer or want to get into something and donate to some really good charities, this is a good pack to get. Yeah, unfortunately, it'll be closed by the time this show drops. But if well, that's what you get person, for not listening live, frankly. <laughs> yeah, but if you're a gamer person, you can go to humblebundle.com and you can sign up. You know, like their Facebook, Twitter, or however you want, whatever social media platform you would like. So and so, you'll be aware of future sales and bundles they put out because it's really cool. You know, it's your your the money goes to the developers and to charities. So. It's 
it's just a neat way to get some pretty decent games. You know, these aren't like the free version of, um, I don't know, like Candy Crush Saga or Angry Birds <laughs> or something, but actual games that take some skill and some intelligence, not just, you know, mindly hitting a screen until you finally beat the level. Um, yeah, the digital Skinner boxes, I call them. I'm going to click that button until pellets fall out, and I'm going to eat those pellets, and I'm going to click the button some more. Yeah. Yes. All right. Moving. And personally, I've always I've always liked the fact that they're they do, do you know that you have the ability to donate to charities. the The Child's Play charity is an awesome one, and so is the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So, even if you don't want the games, go donate to those charities because they would you really use your money in a good way. All right. And because our audience loves it when we talk politics. Uh, Obama uh, says that he's going to announce some uh, measures uh, aimed at uh, stopping patent trolls. Um, I'm not going to comment too much on this one because I don't want to roll off, roll off into full-on Rush Limbaugh mode. Uh, but I'm just going to say I don't think the president really has much stake in this at all, regardless of who the president is. It's just not something the president can do. But moving on. Yeah, I you know, I think attention needs to be brought to the sorry state of the American patent system. So kudos for doing that. Um, but yeah, you're right. He can do some executive orders, which he has showed he really likes to do. But a lot of what he's doing is like he's introducing legislation to Congress. So which Congress would have the power to clean it up. And like I say, I think it's good that if it brings more attention to how bad our patent system is, but anyway, I, you know, this isn't everyday politics. So right, I, I, I as well could go off, but it, no, nothing's perfect. And so I, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. So essentially <laughs> we have, we're, we're put our hands, our fate in the hands of people who made their money using the current system and asking them to change the system. Um, th that's not likely to ever happen in any government anywhere. People who, who became what they are based in the current system aren't likely to want to change the system. And so a lot of people in Congress are, in fact, lawyers um, and businessmen. And so they're, they're happy with the th way things are. The people who give them uh, money are certainly happy with the way things are. But I do totally agree that that there that our current system was written for an industrial age era and cannot stand in the information age. That's been proven over and over again, proven in you know my words, um, evidence in in legal uh, cases like this whole. Uh, I, I don't think we've talked about it on the show. I don't know if we ever not. But there's a there's a patent troll out there who's claiming that he owns a patent on the playlist. And since essentially every podcast in the world exists by way of playlists, um, he he's going to large um, podcasters. Adam Carolla was one of the first people he went to, and say said you need to license this technology from us. We own the playlist. If you're going to publish a playlist in RSS format, uh, you need to pay us a license. Um, and he does have. A, a patent it, it is something he owns it was issued in two, in 1996 and then updated again i think in 2006 
uh, amended. Uh, so it is a valid patent. It's there, or it's a legal patent. Um, the argument right now, the, the Electronic Frontier Foundation is trying to argue that it's not a valid patent, that there's plenty of prior art. It should never have happened. So rather than defending that people aren't bound by the patent, they're wanting to invalidate the patent. But it's just another example. Right. When you can patent the playlist, there's something wrong. That's not a technology. That's not, a, that's not something you invented. That's an idea. And, and maybe we can copyright ideas. That we do that all the time. But to patent an idea is, doesn't work in the age of, of ideas. So right. th- there's my, my talk about that. And while I th- it's nice to see it get front page news in, in any uh, political sort of thing, remember this is a lame duck president uh, with a largely antagonistic Congress. And the best he could do is uh, make directions and give uh, suggestions. So don't yeah. get too excited that this is going to happen anytime soon. I like the fact that it's at least being brought up into public chatter you know the whole idea that it's being front page news it brings some light to this horrible thing that we call patents and at least at in the current tech place we are um maybe he can't change everything overnight but maybe he can at least start the conversation all right um i'm I'm debating whether to go to this last one that that pregnant pause you heard there uh, I think we can talk about it. It's okay. It's it's real news. Uh, the prism, the government is spying on you. Um, oh, yep. it's, yeah, it's a big thing. Essentially, I'm going to see if I can break this down and, and keep the hyperbole out of it. Every cell phone provider has data on its users just by the fact that they're using it. They know where you are. They know when you make calls. They know who you make those calls to. When you send a text message, they know the content of those messages, and there has been evidence brought to light that the go- that certain uh, providers had a very liberal divulgence policy about what they gave to the government. Essentially, there was a, a, a fire hose backdoor that the government could check on anything, and this was yeah. denied for a while, and, and then a whistleblower came out and said, here's documentation that proves it, proves it's going on, proves that high-ranking people knew it was going on, proves that people uh, suspected that it might not be entirely legal. And so there you go. That's that's the story. Um, go to a, a more hard news uh, podcast if you want more on that. But, you know, there it is. Seth, I'm sure you had some comments, and that's why you put it on the show. So what, what were you going to say about it? Well, no, I just, I just figured, you know, it's been fairly – mainstream coverage and i just didn't know if we want to talk about it now what we thought um and i I was reading some of the technical stuff and part of part of the uproar seems to be because like the things were written on the nsa side by a non-technical person so he didn't use the right terminology to describe it and that was part of it but yeah i mean it's one of those things i understand it can be done and I, you know, you probably knew it was being done, but to confirm, you know, it's like Benjamin Franklin, I think was the one who said a society that sacrifices security for freedom is worthy of neither. Uh, it just, you know, that's just kind of what I think about it. So, and the only reason this is a tech story is, is they use technology, you know, the cell phone infrastructure to do it. 
Uh, I think one of the the best commentaries I ever had about uh, saw about it was on the. Uh, I just blanked on the name of the the comic uh, Nitro Zack and Snaggy. The what's their what's their comic? Help me out, chat mm-hmm. room. Um, it's a. I'm not the only one who knows about this. Who who is it? Yeah, joy of Tech, the Joy of Tech, okay. the comic. Oh, okay. Uh, they posted uh, a really good um, comic about it, and I'm just I'm not going to do the whole thing. I'm just going to give you a synopsis. It's a woman sitting at a coffee shop, you know, obviously a Starbucks type place, t- typing on her MacBook, and she says, "Oh my gosh, the NSA is collecting phone records of millions of Verizon customers daily. This is an outrage. I'm going to take a stand to protect my privacy." And then a little later on Google Plus, I'm at the coffee shop fuming, going to cancel my Verizon attack. And then a few minutes later on Twitter, leaving the coffee shop and heading back to my apartment, mad as heck. Google location sign in at Verizon in Santa Anita. Facebook, just leaving my apartment now, heading down to the Verizon at Santa Anita Mall on Foursquare. I'm now the mayor of Verizon Wireless at Santa Anita Mall. Instagram, meeting with my friend Lucy. Here's a picture of us at Bravo Night at the club. Tumblr, check out my new Tumblr blog. I write about where I grew up, where I went to school, what I'm doing right now. I laugh at my baby photos, my prom photos, my old boyfriends, and get the latest about my new job. I'm going also going to get a great rant about government and uh, privacy invasion. Facebook, at the laundromat, I'll be here forever. Uh, still mad about Verizon. On Twitter, good night, Twitter. I feel so much about my privacy. Here's a self-portrait. I think that's uh, pretty um, uh, accurate. Right there. So people who are obsessed about the people who are most obsessed about their privacy or upset about their privacy are the ones who willingly give it away. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one thing to willingly give it away. It's another when somebody takes it from you. Right. Um, I, I don't. Yeah. No. I, I understand. You know. I understand. There's a lot of people like that. So. But yeah, I just I just thought you know we should mention it. All the news that is news and lots of uh, element op commentary to go with it. So. <laughs> Uh, all right, and so moving on to a little bit of our um, listener comments. Uh, we've got a lot of them. Uh, first off, begins with, uh, he was not anonymous. Uh, I'm choosing not to mention him. A listener uh, wrote in and says goodbye. Uh, says, I'm done with you. Uh, the quote was, your editorial comment uh, content has gotten too much. I don't want uh, politics mixed in with my tech podcast. I've been with you, yada, yada. And, you know, if this person is true to his word, he's not listening to the show because he said he would never listen again. So uh, he's not going to hear this, but I'm going to say to him anyway, I bear you no ill will. Uh, There are podcasts just recently that I have unsubscribed some to, some that I followed for months or even years. When the content no longer interests you, unsubscribe. I'm fine with that. But as, as we alluded to earlier on, you know, this... This is a tech podcast in name only. It's really a podcast about the three of us and the things that we find interesting. And you're going to get politics and you're going to get cooking and you're going to get, you know, parenting tips. And if you don't like that, um, there are a thousand other podcasts that you can listen to. And I don't bear you any ill will for leaving. Uh, You know, I I prefer not to have a profanity-laced email sent to me when you do. Just simply unsubscribe and move on. So I just wanted to say that. Uh, I wanted to let you know that uh, your voice was heard, and I'm not backing away from it, uh, but we stand by the content we put out. 
that's all there is to it. Yeah, and you know, I, the, the, the only ahead, other please. thing I could say to that is that, I, you know, I didn't actually, re- personally didn't read that email. Uh, Mark has kept it from us for yeah. his own reasoning, which is fine. Uh, and, you know, that's fine. You know, if you don't like what we're doing, then don't listen. You know, that it's your it, that's your free will, and we can't control your free will. So if you like us, you like us. If you don't, you don't. Take your ball and go home. And I did want to apologize because I've noticed that recently we really haven't been giving bacon its due. And I don't know why, but I just can't seem to work much bacon into the podcast. And I do apologize sincerely from the bottom of my heart to the element OP faithful out there who have stuck with us. And I, I tried this week to come up with good bacon content, but I couldn't. So I'm sorry. And we will try to do better. Please, please give us another chance. Um, and you know, that's, uh, that's going to be fixed tonight. Seth, we have, we have a bacon story submitted by a listener. Okay. Okay. Uh, Dowdle, who is in the chat room, uh, by the way, I, I'm going to pick on him cause I know he won't mind. He, he sent me an email, um, uh, and in his way, it was complimentary. You have to understand the man to understand that a compliment from him comes in the form of a smack in the face first, followed by, you know, I don't hate you entirely. Uh, and the, like the last line of his email was the show still sucks. It just sucks less than a lot of other podcasts out there. So those are high praise from Scott Dowdle. Thanks brother. Um, uh, I, I cut that out and actually put it on the wall in my bedroom. I, I, I lay awake at night, uh, looking at it, hoping to live up to those words. <laughs> That's awesome. We know Dottle, you know, we love you. <laughs> Okay, and so moving right along, Kane asks some questions about um, uh, the learning the command line. He says, hey, hello from the great white north of Canada. Right up there with you, Chris. Uh, I've yeah, listened to the probably. past five episodes, so he's a new guy, and thoroughly enjoyed your podcast. I particularly like the white-sided humor. I've been an Apple fanboy for a number of years, worked in IT, supported Apple OS X server, and some Windows stuff, and of course, all the relatives' computers. Since I've retired, I'm 54, or until boredom sets in and my wife runs out of jobs for me, I'm attempting to dig deeper into Linux. I've installed a number of distros, but still not sure which one to settle for. So I'm considering Linux Academy to see if I can reboot myself and actually learn something. I'd like to get a handle on the command line, and this is something that's, uh, is this something that's covered in depth in the Linux Academy? I've also purchased a number of books to try to get my head wrapped around some of the command line. I'm also thinking of this as an exercise in my attempt at maintaining the little gray cells, kind of like push-ups for brain matter. So in all seriousness, would this be a good approach in moving forward with my attempt at grasping Linux, and especially the command line? So I thought, what better way to ask that question than to forward it on to Anthony, the proprietor and uh, head guru at Linux Academy. So. Uh, I did. And here's how Anthony responded. He said, well, the short answer to your question is yes. Linux Academy is a perfect place to get your head wrapped around Linux in general and the command line in particular. Our video courses cover bash scripting, system configuration, security management, and administration from the command line. You'll get real world examples from the material we cover so that you can immediately apply what you see in our videos. Additionally, we offer something you don't get anywhere else with our monthly subscription to Linux Academy. You get access to your own Linux server. 
and one of seven different distributions to use while you're following the video tutorials. With Linux Academy, for one price, you get to see and do in the same place. More generally, I think there are two approaches when thinking about Linux in particular uh, in choosing a, and Linux and in particularly in choosing a desktop uh, distribution. If your goal is to use and develop locally, you should think about one of the major desktop distributions with the broadest support. Ubuntu jumps out as the distribution with the most visibility and the broadest mainstream support. But you can make do equally well with Fedora or Mint. However, if your goal is to configure and deploy a system that will be used for, quote, real work, i.e. server-type tasks, you're probably better off with one of the distributions with broad corporate visibility and support. I would dare say almost exclusively in the RPM-based distributions like Red Hat or Oracle Enterprise uh, or CentOS. Bottom line is that your distribution of choice is just that, a choice. You can pick up one that you feel most comfortable with and meets the requirements for your purpose, and it's nice to have that freedom of choice in a world that tries very hard to restrict your audience uh, options. So there you go. There's your words uh, directly from uh, uh, Anthony over at Linux Academy, and this is a good opportunity for me to plug Linux Academy and tell you that uh, Linux Academy is a place where there are over 100 uh, uh, training videos on everything uh, from the command line to the GUI, all uh, about server administration, about uh, Amazon EC3 uh, administration, all sorts of things. Great opportunities for you to learn about Linux there. The cost is a pittance, less than a couple of pizzas a month. It's uh, $19 a month, uh, or if you want to buy three months in a row, you'll only pay for two. So it's, it's $38 a quarter. Um, but you can try it out at no cost. Your first seven days are free. Sign up. Give it a try. If you find out within a week you don't like it, cancel it. You pay nothing. Um, and they're constantly updating their stuff. Their videos are in high def, and they're also mobile friendly. So you can you have the option uh, to watch uh, on the go at the gym or uh, at work or wherever you might want to be watching uh, Linux Academy content. So check them out. Go over to linuxacademy.com and tell them Mark sent you. All right. Now that's my ad. You guys have anything else to add to that? Um, he, he specifically asked a question about our sponsor, so what better way to respond than by uh, letting the sponsor talk for himself? But do you guys have anything, uh, any resources that you could recommend otherwise? Um, the, if he's trying to figure out what, I would say for his distributions, um, that's a, always a tough one because there's so many desktop environments and so many different distributions. It, it's really a tough one to pick which one you want to stick with. Um, when it comes to be, you know, um, if you're comfortable using a VM, that's an easy way to not have to blow away your network, your distribute, your computer every time to play with something. Uh, especially if you're bouncing from distribution to distribution. If you're just changing desktop environments, then it's a different story. But man, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that's a really good resource off the top of my head that would give him a good command line. Other than picking up the O'Reilly book for command line, um, the Linux Academy is going to be the easiest to get into. All right. So there you go. And we're not just saying that because they're a sponsor. And we're having serious connection difficulties with Seth. So the little R2-D2 blips you're hearing are coming from him. And uh, I'm sure that he would, were he here and able to talk to you, he would say that he is also a Linux Academy uh, user, not just uh, a benefit of them uh, uh, 
broadcasting on the show, but also, or excuse me, advertising on the show, but also uh, as a as a customer who shucks out his hard-earned money on a regular basis uh, to uh, the Linux Academy so that he can um, advance his knowledge as well. And I'm sure at some point we'll get him back, but for now we're just going to have to soldier on without him. Um, all right. Enough of that. I, I we're trying to troubleshoot on the fly as we go, so the, the usual smoothness isn't going to be there. Um, right. How about now, Seth? Can you hear me now? Anything? Not a thing. He's totally gone away. All right. Uh, so moving on to the next um, bit of listener feedback, Paul. Uh, and I pick Paul. He uh, is representative of of things that I hear from people on a fairly regular basis. Not all the time, but often enough. So I thought that I would uh, um, give a voice to his concerns. He says, uh, um, Paul says, I have a marginally fast DSL hookup and find that uh, smaller profiles, uh, uh, excuse me, f- smaller files of podcasts, of the talk type podcast, are quicker to download uh, with more than adequate quality. I'm puzzled as to why Everyday Linux podcast size is about twice as large as other podcasts. For example, I get the Slate Sports podcast 50 minutes with a 23 meg file size. Everyday Linux, an hour and 20 minutes with an 80 meg uh, file size. Uh, would you consider figuring out how to streamline your podcast into a smaller file, such as by using a lower bit rate? Um, the answer to that question is my files are bigger because my bit rate is higher. Um, most, uh, many, maybe, maybe most podcasts out there have sort of standardized on 64 kilobit mono, uh, for their, um, bit rate, which is roughly equivalent to uh, AM radio. Their rationale being it's just a couple of guys talking. It doesn't have to be better than that. In fact, AM radio has been around for 70 years uh, using that same model. So uh, why not uh, stick with that? Um, I am a bit pickier than that. Um, I have tried using lower bit rates. But what I use is a 128K joint stereo. Uh, what joint stereo means is that um, all the sounds that are roughly the same in both channels are are sent down both channels, essentially a, a mono signal. And only the things that are vastly different from one side to the other uh, are spread out to be uh, stereo. It's somewhere between mono and stereo. Uh, and I use 128K bit rate, which is uh, roughly CD quality. I've tried the difference between 120K mono and joint stereo and their minor differences, and you don't get the, the, the benefit. I pan Seth a little bit one way and Chris a little bit one way and me in the middle just to give you, if you're listening through headphones or in your car, to give you a little bit of the sense that you're in the room with us. Our voices come from slightly different locations. None of this is necessary or required it's just the way I like to do it. I've listened to to my own stuff. I've tried different encoding um, formats. I've tried different uh, bit rates, and I've just never been happy with the result. So um, the answer is, yes, I know why my files are twice as big, and no, I don't plan on changing it anytime soon. And all I can do is apologize for people that that presents a problem for, I know that there are people out there with bandwidth constraints. I know there are people out there with with uh, space constraints. 
Uh, but it's just a, a way in which I have not been willing to compromise uh, to this point. I, um, I make a lot of concessions. I don't necessarily do things the way I would prefer to do them in the perfect world. But 128 kit, uh, kilobit stereo is where I'm going to stick. Uh, if that makes me a jerk, I'm going to have to wear that label proudly on this one. So uh, there you go. There's a little technical talk, why my files are bigger, uh, and why I don't intend to change anytime soon. You know, Mark, the other thing that we could try and offer, and I, I'm sh- we could probably go into more detail off when we're off off topic and off air, um, if we offered an AUG version, because AUG usually has a better uh, a better space requirement for the same quality. Um, I don't know if everyone's podcasts would handle AUGs, but that would be an option that if it doesn't involve too much on your end to kick it back out, but it's something to try. Uh, well, I have researched that. AUG <clears throat> uh, is not well supported. Uh, it is, uh, of course, on the desktop, widely supported, but among mobile devices, not so much. Android does support it. iOS devices don't at all, uh, the, at least the last time I checked. Uh, and I um, I don't want to incur the extra overhead myself of encoding everything twice, storing it twice, building two RSS feeds. Um, you know, it's just it's one of those things where I've just decided uh, I'm going to be a little Steve Jobs like and say this is the way I do it. You either consume my product or you don't. Uh, does that make me a good person? I don't know, but it is, it's where I am. We're going to be MP3 only. We're going to be 128 K MP3. Uh, and that's just the way it's going to be. And that's the way you can do it. Cause you're the head dude. You know, I often say that this is, you know, this is not my show. This is your show. Uh, and I believe that, uh, I believe that, uh, you know, the audience derive drives a lot of the content. And of course, in this, in this case, you know, you're almost all the show it's, it's your questions and our answers to them. But there are times when I have to make a decision to stick with it. Um, I've had, uh, I'm not going to say complaints, but, uh, c- comments about the design of the website. For example, the website I have is something I can maintain easily. Uh, and something that uh, is supported across a wide range of devices on a wide range of browsers. I don't, I'm not going to change it because a couple of people don't like it. Uh, and it's, it's the same thing with the, with the bitrate. It's widely supported. It works everywhere. My files are just a bit bigger. Most of the audience isn't bothered by that. Anybody who's listened to even a 10-minute uh, or, or downloads even a 10-minute video podcast uh, download something way bigger than our stuff. So we're we're nowhere near the biggest podcast out there, but we're not the smallest either. So anyway. Well, and I don't even have super bandwidth and it hasn't taken, um, it hasn't taken like an excessive amount of time for me to download it. So. <laughs> and I have a comment in the chat room. I can be bought for a price. That's absolutely right. Uh, if, uh, if Paul wants to uh, uh, fork out some some cash for sixty four k versions, uh, I can be I can be purchased. My principles are for sale, uh, or at least rent. <laughs> Maybe not sell, but at least rent. Lease. Yeah. It's a lease. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, it's just it's one of those time times where I'm I'm putting the line in the sand and saying this is the way it is. Um, and I have my reasons for it. And if you don't like them, um, that's okay. So anyway, one more time. Um, 
Nigel writes in uh, from uh, the UK and offers a bit of a correction. I uh, made a comment in episode 97 about metered bandwidth being common in the UK. And uh, he responds back and says, it's not so common anymore. He says, hi, guys. In your last episode, when promoting the Linux Academy, you suggested that in the UK, people are on metered bandwidth. That used to be the case, but it's the exception these days. Uh, some white users do opt for restricted low-cost packages, which are typically limited to 10 or 20 gigabits. Most people, though, have packages with unlimited bandwidth. Generally, Internet access is bundled with phone services and with some providers, satellite or cable TV as well. I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but here the term unlimited is open to interpretation. The small print on the bandwidth contract usually has a paragraph about fair usage. For domestic users, this is unlikely to be a problem. Uh, you could spend all day watching YouTube or listening to streamed music, but you might run into problems if you spend 24 hours a day downloading distri Linux distribution ISOs. Uh, there's also the issue of bandwidth shaping. A lot of suppliers reserve the right to throttle peer-to-peer -peer traffic, particularly at peak periods, such as evenings and weekends. In reality, though, I've not come across anybody actually noticing their connection speed being reduced. Even people doing a lot of torrent downloading. All legal torrents, of course. Um, that's my aside. One thing Are there we do, any other kind? One thing we do particularly benefit from in the UK, compared with many other countries, is hot competition between internet providers. In most of the country, people can choose from several dozen providers. In London, I would guess that there are maybe as many as 100, although a lot of those would be small niche providers. All the best, Nigel. Uh, thanks, Nigel, for your comments, uh, for the education there. Your model uh, is not dissimilar to ours, other than we don't have the, the uh, competition at all. Most markets in the U.S. have a broadband provider. Um, if you have a lot of choice, you might have three broadband providers. Uh, in my case, I have uh, two options, uh, neither of which are very good. And I get to pick the, the evil of two lessers. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, uh, competition is something we could certainly use here and, and something Google is trying to produce saying, hey, we'll give you a gigabit for a buck a year or whatever it is. Uh, so uh, I'm hoping to see uh, competition make things happen here as well. But thank you for uh, for your feedback. Yeah. It's always nice to hear what happens on the other side of the pond. And uh, the only reason I commented on metered bandwidth is because one of the emails I got complaining about the size of our show mentioned that he had metered bandwidth. So uh, I was just uh, putting two and two together and, and saying that it does obviously, in fact, happen. And, and as you've said, Nigel, it, it does happen. It's just not as common. Uh, Dog Flap, what a great name, offers some insight about the Fairphone. He says, hi, guys. $420 was not USD when I checked the website, but British Pounds... Uh, which is 646 U.S. dollars. Um, I'm wondering oh. if that is some code that changes based on where you log in from. Because when I looked at it, it clearly said 400 U.S. dollars, uh, 420 U.S. dollars. But anyway, 646 dollars is what he said he uh, had. He said, I had no luck searching their website for uh, specific information on this phone beyond the price, uh, which was a bit buried. I took a couple of emails, eventually... Uh, I asked for a link to where I might find answers before I received a link to a page that told me all I needed to know, i.e. the phone was Europe only. I had other questions like OS it, what OS it shipped and uh, with and was friendly was it friendly to other flavors of Linux mobile operating systems, i.e. Firefox or Ubuntu. 
Uh, after that link, I immediately received an email that made me think that the follow, following the link had signed me up to buy the phone, a phone that's unlikely to work in my country of Australia. I await for developments, but is this a mob? Uh, pun intended. Um, I'm now wary of. If you wish, I can send you the emails. There must be at least five. Uh, best regards. Um, dog flap. I... I, my experience on that website was vastly different than yours, Dogflap. I went there, and there was a link that clearly listed the specs of the phone, even down to the the handful of manufacturers they've already tapped to make the chips. Uh, that it told you the amount of RAM. It told you, uh, Chris. We even mentioned on the show uh, about halfway through our discussion of it that it was a a Europe only phone. So I'm not really sure what you saw, uh, but I wanted to read your experiences to the uh, the rest of the audience just in case. Uh, somebody out there had some shady dealings, uh, some unfair treatment from the Fairphone team. Waiting for insouciant comments. Well, there's not much we can really yeah, comment. Okay. You kind of nailed it all over. <laughs> you know, we can't yeah, say much if you beat us to the punches there, Mark. <laughs> hopefully that they they will make like um, a U.S. model or ship to the U.S. Because from the specs, from what I remember... I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work on a U.S. market uh, from a purely technical standpoint. Now, there could be legal hurdles involved and, uh, you know, the monopolies or not that word, oogalopolies, I believe is the right word. Oligopolies. Uh, Oligopy. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I can't say it. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah. So, I wonder if there's something like that and, you know, they're awesome uh, stuff that they've their insider power purchasing in Washington is keeping it out. But from a purely technical standpoint, it looks like it should work in America, and it would just be cool to have something like that. I think. Yeah, as we theorized last week, uh, it's probably just the legal entanglements of importing to the U.S. that I think they're trying to avoid. Uh, so, dog flap. If you end up with a phone you didn't pay for or didn't want. Um, that would be a neat trick. I mean, I'm assuming you didn't give them a credit card or anything, but if you end up with a phone you didn't want, uh, maybe somebody in our Element OP audience will take it off your hands. But it seems like a, a reasonable phone for a reasonable price. Uh, $646 US is it's still reasonable for that phone. Uh, the 420 was actually a good deal for the specs they promised. But it's you know it's all vaporware right now. It doesn't exist, right. so we'll have to see. We'll be following that uh, as it goes on. Uh, and another listener, Rainey, uh, writes in with what might be an alternative to the Fairphone. He says, hi, guys. For quite a few months, I've listened to your show, and I must say I find it very informative. In your last episode, you mentioned the Fairphone that is supposed to work on any carrier. It's a great idea. Um, uh, if it, Okay. Typo. It's a great idea if it wouldn't just be for just Europe. However, if you're interested in something similar, I'd advise you to look at republicwireless.com. They have uh, only one phone that they offer that you've got to buy for $250. Uh, but after that, your monthly service costs you around $20 for unlimited everything. The reason I haven't signed up yet is that I'm waiting until later in the summer. They have announced uh, to come up with a few more phones to choose from. Perhaps it's a nice little info for the show keep up the good work rainy uh i am familiar a little bit with republic wireless it's a it's a neat idea it's a hybrid phone 
if you're in a Wi-Fi area, it makes your calls over Wi-Fi. And if you're not, it uses a Sprint network. So if where you live, you can get Sprint. Uh, you can get um, the uh, the fair uh, the, excuse me the Republic wireless phone, uh, and the prices are around twenty dollars for unlimited text, unlimited data, unlimited whatever. Uh, and they're proceeding from the assumption that what I think is a very valid assumption that most of the time you're in a Wi-Fi hotspot. You're at home. You're connected to your Wi-Fi. You're at work. You're connected to the Wi-Fi there. You're at the airport or the Starbucks or whatever. Whatever. You're probably connected to Wi-Fi. So that, I would say that in my case, um, mobile data and, and uh, even phone call usage is really low. Most of the time, I could get away with a Wi-Fi phone. So I can see how they can do this and make it work. Uh, Sprint is also aggressively selling their service to third parties. Uh, Ting, I think, is another national company that sells on the Sprint network. Um, Oh, there's a bunch of them. I can't think of any of those off the top of my head, but I know well, I've heard of a, a lot of, of the prepaid uh, things right. out there, like Straight Talk and Track Phone. They have Sprint models, and then you know they have their AT and T models as well. Just depending on you know and you, which network you buy, which one it'll work on. So if you're well, in the, I, I, go ahead. I was going to say I know I won't ever be coming anywhere near that because Sprint in Montana has like zero coverage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, where I lived in North Texas, there was no, there was no Sprint coverage. There was AT and T, and that was it. Um, yep. Here in Metro Atlanta, everybody has four bars everywhere you go because it's a it's a major metropolitan area uh, crammed into a relatively small uh, landmass. So it's fairly easy for them to to saturate the the area with with antennas. Uh, so here, sure, I could do that. But where I used to live, where Seth lives now there's no chance you're going to get sprint. Yeah, it's it's a no go at my house. And because even if I was on wireless, woohoo, half a meg. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want uh you want 4G and and that's the really rural areas 4G is better than your Wi-Fi. So if you're going to download uh something on your phone, you'd rather it be on your your data network, your phone company uh over your Wi-Fi. Well, I mean, like in my house, I I don't get four bar. Well, sometimes I get four bars unless I try to use my phone, then it drops to one or zero <laughs> bars. So you know, I don't get coverage, but I get bars. So you know, they don't ever say more coverage in more places. They say more bars in more places <laughs> because they wrote a little Java applet that increases the bars. And I don't know how many times I'll be on my I'll see great three bars, and then so I'll go to make a phone call, and when I put the first digit in, it goes from three to zero. So once you actually try to use it, the bars disappear. But you have more bars in more places, so they're not lying. That's funny. Uh, That's I, really funny. Yeah, I bet you could track. There's they they would come up with some reason for that. That uh, heat uh, increases when you use it, which interferes with the radio. But yeah, it's a racket. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know they were very careful. Not more coverage in more places. That's right. More bars in more places. Uh, so, uh, Peng, uh, Boston Peng, who is a, a perennial contributor to the show, wants to make sure that we here at the Element OB Network have a happy Father's Day. And what better way to do it than with bacon? And he sends, uh, he sends a link to something that I was already aware of, but uh, I'm going to give him credit for it. Sayitwithbacon.com. Uh, you go there, the first thing you'll be greeted with is a, a full-page um, uh, video. 
but Oscar Meyer, and the, the crazy thing is these are these are real. Uh, are offering Father's Day gift packs. So it's uh, a pound of Oscar Meyer bacon plus cufflinks, or a pound of Oscar Meyer bacon plus uh, a multi tool, or a pound of uh, Oscar Meyer bacon uh, plus uh, a money clip. So you can say it with bacon on Father's Day, and they will actually send you a nice jewelry box type case with a pound of bacon in it and something else. So uh, last-minute uh, gift ideas, uh, guys, uh, sayitwithbacon.com. The video, the, the, the mock commercial they made up is actually really funny. So check it out, sayitwithbacon.com. Are they real? Because, I mean, it shows all of them has sold out. No, they're sold so. out because people were buying them. They were a real product. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, well, it looks, I'm going to have to watch the whole video later because it looks great. It looks like it was created for us specifically. Now, all I have to say is that if you're going to take something revolving around bacon and put it on the internet, you better freaking plan for billions of purchases. I, they, it's poor planning if they're sold out, really. There's no excuse for that. It's a week away. It's bacon and the internet, people. How did you not know you were going to need to have hundreds of thousands of hundreds of millions of these in the warehouse? Bad planning, guys. Yeah. You can't sell out of bacon on Father's Day. That's like <laughs> selling out a beer on St. Patrick's Day. You can't do that. Or- is that possible? Or roses on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Just don't do it. Oh, and uh, the the chat room, I'm just going to ignore those comments about turkey bacon. That is an oxymoron. That is like a peacekeeper missile or a, a hot water heater. It's not possible to have turkey bacon. It is either bacon or it is turkey. Um, moving on to our next bit of listener feedback, Keel Hall checks in and says, guys, I've been listening to Everyday Linux for a couple of months now and really enjoy it. Thanks for all your work. I wanted to give back, and I'm a fairly regular Amazon buyer. I've been coming to the website and clicking your Amazon link before making any purchases. Thanks for that. Is there a way to confirm you're getting credit? Is there any way to tell by the URL or some other method? Uh, Also, Tightwad Tech was closing up right around the time I found the website uh, and Everyday Linux. I wish I would have found it sooner. Ah, well, nice to have a back catalog to catch up on. Thanks again, guys. Really, the only difference when you click through elementopi.com slash Amazon is when you go to when you look up in the browser, it's Amazon.com slash and a pound sign. That pound sign says uh, you've got the cookie and you're working. Uh, and if you when you go several pages in, if you look, you can see I think the word is ref, uh, affiliate is in there somewhere in that very long string. Uh, but the answer is don't worry about it. If you went through through that. Uh, we're getting you know a small cut of every purchase you make, and thank you for that. Um, I really appreciate it and encourage others to do that as well. It costs you literally nothing more than a click. You could put it in your bookmark and not even have to come to our website every time. And we get uh, a very small referral uh, credit for having done that. We're glad to have you, Keel Hall. Uh, thanks for being with us, and uh, thanks for looking to support us in whatever whatever way you can. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. We'll take it. <laughs> and yes, chat room, I can say I can see that you would say turkey bacon is good. Okay, I accept the fact that you can like it, but you can't call it bacon. It's it's a turkey product. 
and you may enjoy said turkey product. It's like what I say once a bean broaches the surface tension of chili, it is no longer chili. It is now a meat stew with beans. And you may enjoy your meat stew with beans as much as you want, but you may not call it chili. Same with turkey, bacon. See, I couldn't even put those two together. I had to say turkey, bacon, because there's no such thing as turkey bacon. It's a, it's a unicorn. It's a myth. It's a faux bacon. Enjoy your faux bacon. It's faking so, is what it is. Yeah. Faking. I like can, that. Some turkey faking. You can enjoy your faking, and, and I'm fine if you like faking. Um, just don't call it bacon, because it's not. All right. And one other bits. We've got lots coming at you guys this week. Joe, uh, who has written in a number of times, is asking for some hardware advice. And I put this one in there. Uh, not just Joe, but everybody out there. We're we're not going to answer every specific hardware question sent in. It's just too much, and, and we're not really the guys to do it. Um, but I like this one because I thought it was interesting because uh, it was an answer I didn't know, and I thought I'd read in there. By the way, there is uh, on our forums at elementop.com, when you click on forums, there's a community help desk forum which is the perfect place to post these kinds of questions so that the community can uh, help you out. Joe says, I need some hardware advice. I recently purchased two four terabyte hard drives on sale to use in my on-site and off-site backup servers. I have two older machines uh, that I'd plan to use. And older machines means dual core, 64 uh, bits, uh, four gigs of RAM, about 2006 or 2007 vintage. Unfortunately, the BIOS in neither machine will recognize the full four terabytes. Thinking I have two options, buy a SATA controller card for the older machines or build new machines, hopefully with a motherboard BIOS that will recognize the full capacity. So what would you do in this situation? I'm not made of money, so cost is definitely a factor. I can't really swing a Drobo uh, to solve the problem. Or perhaps there's a different solution that I've not considered. I look forward to hearing what you would do in this situation. Uh, my, uh, initial take on what you've said here is that the, if they're 64 bit machines, they should handle a four terabyte, terabyte hard drive. I think what you're saying, I think what you're seeing rather is not that they're not seeing the full four terabytes, but you're not understanding hard drive marketing. A four terabyte hard drive, what is sold as four terabytes is 4,000 megabytes, which is actually 3.6 or so terabytes. Because uh, a computer reads a megabyte as 1024 bits. A manufacturer yep. sells it as 1,000 bits. Those 24 bits add up a lot. And when you get into a hard drive the size of four terabytes, you really notice the fact that there's those 24 bits have been lopped off there. Um, and if you read the packaging, it clearly says that you're buying four terabytes and then usually in parentheses or a little star by it, it'll say 4,000 megabytes, uh, or 4,000 gigabytes, which is not the same as a true four terabytes. So I bet you're actually seeing the full amount. That's my assessment because hardware that new should recognize a four terabyte hard drive. What, what do you guys think? Am I onto something there? I, I think, I well, think, because he doesn't really go right. into detail about it, the only other thing I would say is maybe check a BIOS upgrade. Um, I have seen that cause issues, not recognizing extremely large drives like the four terabytes would be. Um, but since he doesn't actually say what it's reporting, I would say you're probably right, Mark, is that he's just not seeing that extra 
space because of hard drive manufacturer selling things. Seth? Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say was check, um, be sure and check out the um, one, the manufacturer's website to see if there is a BIOS update. And then definitely what you said, because like, you know, I have an old laptop uh, with, it's a 300 gig, but it's only 283. So, you know, you're looking, when you go up to four gig, it might only be 3.2 or three. But if it's more than like 2.7 or 2.5, then it's seeing the four. Um, and also, are you looking at free space um, or or what? Because depending on the distro and if you put any data on it, you know, if you're looking at free space, that's not a true indicator of how big the disk is. All good points. Uh, yeah, certainly a check with a BIOS update. I tend to shy away from BIOS updates if you can avoid it because there's it's so easy for one simple thing to go wrong and then you've you've hosed your BIOS chip and and they're not terribly difficult to replace you can buy a new BIOS chip and unsolder the old one and resolder the new one uh but I would definitely say you should avoid doing that um if you can uh so I I tend to back away from BIOS updates but if you're truly only seeing you know, if it's just not recognizing the drive or only showing you like one terabyte or something, then definitely you've got a, a BIOS issue and updating it will probably fix it. Um, but my guess well, is that's not he, the case. Well, and he one could shortcut point, it too by going uh, to the SATA, contr the SATA controller because that would be new enough that it would see the four terabytes in, in the, you know, recommended size. So, you know, the, the and SATA controller cards are pretty cheap nowadays. Yeah. I would recommend, though, if you're going to buy a SATA controller card, buy two and have one <laughs> as a cold spare that you have in the closet. Um, nothing worse than having a controller card go up and then you don't have a replacement. Yeah, you can get a PCIe yeah. SATA controller card for under 100 bucks, uh, probably under 50 The other thing I was going to point out, and I just thought of this like a couple of seconds ago, was... Is he looking at maybe just a partition and not the whole hard drive? Again, we don't have all the information, and maybe you set a partition to only be one terabyte or whatever, and if you looked at the hard drive, it would be bigger. Uh, and again, you know, that's just a possible thing, um, but just something to think about and just double check because I don't know how many times I've done that thinking, where did all my space go? And then I realized, oh, I didn't partition the whole hard drive. So, um, you know, and then have to break out partition or G part it or something and, and finish partitioning the rest of the system. So that would be another thing to check. Uh, and then he has a PS in his message. Uh, PS, would a dual core 1.1 gigahertz Celeron board be enough horsepower for an untangled box for a small home network? The dual NICs seem perfect. Uh, perfect. The wiki suggests that a Pentium 4 or Atom equivalent uh, for less than 50 devices. They say RAM and disk I.O. are more important than CPU horsepower. So I'm thinking this would be a good choice. Uh, what's your opinion on Realtek uh, NICs? Uh, they seem to be the only NICs available on any AMD cards. Um, there's two answers to your question. Uh, will... A 1.1 uh, gigahertz dual Celeron run untangle? Yes. Depends on what you want to do with it. If you start throwing on other stuff, if you start throwing on packet sniffing and um, 
um, anti-spam filtering and that sort of stuff, you're going to run the processor pretty ragged on that machine pretty quickly. So the, my, my advice is try it. It's not going to cost you anything to give it a try. Uh, but I, I think if you want just really basic uh, firewalling, it's going to be fine. But if you try to do anything fancy with it, you're going to choke it. And as for Realtek NICs, I've never had an issue with them. Uh, Realtek makes NICs for lots of other people, and they seem to be fine. Um, so yeah. I wouldn't worry about that at all. You guys comment on either of those? Yeah, I would say that the 1.1 dual-core Celeron, that would be pretty bottom of the barrel um for untangle if it was regular it was a regular intel chip you know whatever um x whatever it would probably be good but you know celeron's kind of the cheap thing and you're looking at i wouldn't i would not go lower than that but i would definitely i would want more than that if i were going to even throw in all of the free plugins for untangle if you're just going to run basic untangle yeah but if you're going to throw in even just the free modules and not not the paid ones and you've got it it'll work but yeah it will it will be a bottleneck on your network and as i don't have i don't have any i've never noticed real techniques so i guess that's an endorsement because they've never screwed up right. on me so <laughs> um i would agree with everyone that with everything that's been said about the untangled box uh a dual core 1.1 Celeron would be enough horsepower if you don't have any of the extra scanning features turned on. Um, it's it would work. The dual uh, real techniques. Um, I've never had an issue with a real tech. I've had issues with other brands, but I've never had an issue with real tech. So maybe it's just luck of the barrel that none of the three of us have never had a real tech issue, but. Uh, I would say Realtek are pretty they're they're pretty bulletproof. I have used literally this is not a mark exaggeration as I am wants to do tens of thousands of Realtek NICs in my career and have not had a failure rate higher than than you would ordinarily expect through regular attrition, you know, a a, a power surge zaps this one or uh, the you know this one 15 years into its lifespan starts acting a little glitchy. That's the kind of stuff that that you're gonna see um, that I have seen in real tech. So no, they're fine. Uh, and in fact, if you went and bought, um, I'm trying to think of some of the guys they manufacture for. If you bought a Linksys NIC, that's a re that's a real tech chipset in it. If you bought a uh, an Intel NIC, that's a real tech chipset in it. Um, Broadcom uses their own. Um, yeah, I was gonna say the last one that I've had go issues with was a Broadcom, and when it when it goes batty, and I've had two of the machines that have the, these Broadcom, the same Broadcom chipsets in them, uh, when they go batty, it, they flood the network with uh, um, just random gibberish traffic. So, but I've never had a real tech go bad ever, personally. So yeah. There, you have a ringing endorsement for Realtek and a uh, qualified go-ahead for your uh, Celeron processor. Celeron is just not designed for crunching numbers uh, on a massive scale. It's designed to be a very light-use processor. That's, that's the market Intel was going for. That's the reason it's out there. The fact that they even made a dual-core Celeron is a little ridiculous. 
uh, let's put two crummy chipsets together and make them slightly less crummy. Um, but yeah, it's it's just not made for that. It's made to to run uh, Microsoft Office and Firefox. Uh, so you I, know, and it, a better option for him if he's not afraid of of the horrible interface that it has, but he could run PFSense and it might be a little better because it's a little more coded for lower end machines anyway. Um, yeah. It would still give him the, Set the fire. The command line, uh, Godfather. <laughs> it, uh, it's what? a horrible interface, but it, it works, and I use it personally. Um, I love my PFSense box, and it's running on something even lower end than that. It's only a P4 single-core processor. Uh, I think it's clocked at 2.5 gigahertz, and it runs like a champ. So Smooth wall, IP cop. Um, there are lots of them out there that are designed to run in lower end hardware. I, you know, As I've talked about before, the Boris box that I run my devices from that this this podcast is streaming out to two different services through right now is a 900 megahertz um uh, p4 processor so it there there's definitely stuff out there that can do it but it all depends on what you're doing the reason we're saying untangle isn't best uh, isn't isn't going to work is not because untangle itself has more overhead but it's easy to load a whole bunch of other stuff onto untangle so PFSense, yeah. like Chris is talking about, it's designed to be a very bare-bones firewall. So is IPCOP, so is SmoothWall, these other ones that we've mentioned. Um, Untangle starts with that. It assumes a bare-bones firewall and then gives you this super one-click menu that says, now load all sorts of other stuff onto it. Uh, and yep. because people tend to actually do that, uh, and with good reason, it's they're, they're great tools there. Um, the, every time you add a layer of complexity, it, it's it's sort of like a, a a power of two thing. When you add one thing, you square the the amount of work getting done. You don't double it, and then you add another yeah. thing and you square it again. I will definitely say though, untangled. Um, I, I'm speaking from uh, a client side. I own, uh, I should say, I own. I manage three separate different premium grade licensed uh, untangle box, and man you definitely know when it's running on a machine that doesn't have enough cpu and horsepower to run it um you get really bad performance and then especially if you're in a like the one that is running in my school district that particular machine is so overpowered that it wasn't coded for such a huge machine and i had to have the untangle guys come in remotely and and edit the config files to unlock the extra four cores that I had available for it, so <laughs> wow, it, it, it was it was an, it, I had a good laugh when the Untangle guy remote sit and goes, "What is this running on? What are you? F this is immense! Wow, I've never seen anything this big." So to to hear that from them, it was, it made me laugh really hard. But uh, so yeah, Chris could it, basically uh, serve as the central endpoint for the northern hemisphere. If he wanted to. <laughs> well, at least probably, well, it's feeding four schools and anybody who is sitting around uh, in the reachable area for Wi-Fi coverage. So, yeah, it's a behemoth of a machine that is, you know, even during a heavy load with everybody and their mother streaming music and videos and everything else, the the processor usage uh, was at what what they call low um, 
and there were over 1,700 active connections between uh, going through that machine. So it definitely had a, enough of connections going through it and could still cache and serve and filter and everything else without even blinking. All right. Uh, and moving on to uh, our good friend Richard has his final wrap-up for the Arch slash LXDE challenge. He uh, he threw down the gauntlet uh, for Chris uh, and said you have to use... Um, what was it, Chris? Uh, um, Unity. Unity. You have to use Unity for a month. Ugh. And then Blah. gave the opportunity for Chris to retaliate. Chris said use LXDE. I added on to it, use LXDE on Arch for a month. So Richard says, hi, guys. Right. I've completed my Arch and LXDE challenge and have to say that this has confirmed some of my views on certain parts of the Linux community and not in a good way. My time with Arch has confirmed for me that it's not a distro for the average user who wants a reliable operating system for everyday use. I had no end of issues getting my wireless and my printer working, and when I approached the Arch community for help, I found that I was greeted with a barrage of RTFM, read the fine manual, uh, amongst other insults. Uh, If I wasn't pretty thick-skinned, then this would have really put me off, not only on Arch, but on Linux in general. Uh, This is not the reaction I expected, and as confirmed, that Arch users in general are pretty elitist and not really willing to help new users. And in the end, I wiped off Arch, uh, Arch off after about three weeks, as it wasn't a viable option for me. And I won't be going back to it again. So I'm going to put a pin in that there and respond to it. As I've said before, oftentimes the, the biggest weakness of the Linux community is, in fact, the Linux community. Um, they, you, you do get elitist jerks. Trouble is, those elitist jerks are the ones who know all the problems, uh, the answers to all your problems. Uh, so it really is, you kind of have to learn to play nice in the sandbox. Um, but that's why there are, you know, that's why we're doing this. We're, we're trying to be regular folks to offset uh, the super um, snotty folks out there. You, you found the dark side, um, and it's certainly out there, and we need to admit it. But we need those people. We need those guys who have no social skills but can code in their sleep on nothing but Mountain Dew and good wishes. Um, And Cheetos. (laughs) And Cheetos. Uh, So, (laughs) you know, I'm sorry that you had that experience, but I think it's also uh, um, a learning experience. I, I I can say I went through that. I'm willing to say, to speak for Chris and Seth, say they went through that too. They were greeted yep. with the snotty one-line response, RTFM, um, or um, this, this post is off-topic, go here. Or just the worst, in my opinion, far worse than either of those, is just crickets. You ask a question, yeah. and you get no response at all. Yeah, yeah. don't reply back with uh, WTFM. Like, you know, <laughs> write the fine manual. Um, uh, they don't like that. so. Yeah. Um yeah, uh, Dowdle was uh alluding to a, a a video on YouTube that I've referenced before Every OS Sucks. It's a great song. Um it's just it fa- fits. It's true. Uh, uh so yeah, I knew Arch wasn't for the everyday users and Arch doesn't want to be for the everyday user. They're fine with that. Um if they've got a newbie who can't use Arch, I don't think that bothers them in the least. And, and, you know, okay, 
Great. Um, all right. So moving on, he says, LXDE was a pretty pleasant surprise and certainly extremely fast. And according to its own CPU monitor, uses very little CPU. However, its configurability is less convincing. Uh, some options don't seem to work properly, and others require you to directly edit an XML file, which is something I really expect. Um, I really don't expect from a modern graphical desktop environment. Uh, there, there is a way around this, and that's to use a distro such as Lubuntu, which has done a lot of configuration work for you. For someone like me who tends to use the stock settings and maybe just change the wallpaper, then this is the route I would recommend. I also had some issues with my connecting to my media server, but was able to eventually work out how to do it with some help from the Lubuntu and Ubuntu communities. Um, Arch community, please take note. I'd consider using LXDE on a very old or slow machine, simply for the speed, in which case uh, I'd accept the limitations, which is a fair trade-off. On a more up-to-date machine, however, I'd probably go with XFCE if I didn't want to use Unity. <clears throat> Uh, GNOME 3, or KDE. To be fair, LXDE is explicitly designed for working with cloud-based applications on older or smaller machines, so it's reasonable that it should work out better on a minimalist netbook or much older machine than on a fully-fledged modern desktop. Uh, other, uh, one other plus from the challenge is the amount of time I've spent using the command line. I'll probably still use the GUI wherever I can, and as long as... Uh, Excuse me. I'll probably use the GUI wherever I can, uh, as that's just how I like to work. But I will continue to use the command line as long as there's room for both of them. As for Vim, I found that it's not for me at present, but I'll keep working at it. And one day, maybe I'll be comfortable using it. No, you'll never be. Nobody's <laughs> you comfortable using Vim. Even people who say hey. they're comfortable using Vim are lying. Gedit is superior in every way to Vim. Notepad is better than Vim. That's right. You heard me say it. Notepad is better than Vim. I don't know about that. But anyway, <laughs> I like Vim. It was it works for me and it's the first thing I install on every machine I touch. <laughs> uh no, Vim is great if all you've got is the command line. Uh and it's probably the you know, Vim and Emacs are like the command line things, and it's amazing the options you can get through you know a control command but if you have a mouse and a and a and a gui for god's sake use it that's all Amen. i have to say about that uh all right any other comments on lxde or arch or anything uh richard uh i think he gave us a fair shake there he didn't do the full full uh four weeks uh but uh maybe it was a week of trying to get it installed and then three weeks installed uh, so I think Richard, uh, achievement unlocked, you've risen to the challenge and I will never <laughs> expect you to use arch again. Uh, any other comments guys? Um, I, I'm impressed. I was expecting Richard to, to throw in the, the whole arch towel sooner than he says he did. Um, I've tried installing arch on numerous machines and I don't know. Maybe I just can't quite understand the Arch mentality, but I still have issues installing Arch and probably Gen 2 if I ever sit down in front of that chair too. Um, but as far as my 30-day challenges, I think I'm going to take a break for a little bit. I'm kind of burned out for 30-day <laughs> challenges. Guys, I just want to so. use the same system for three <laughs> weeks in a row. I would love to be able to actually just do work and not have to fight with an interface to do said work. So 
I know there's a Gen 2 challenge waiting for me, and I realize that it's out there. Um, but I need to do some work for a little bit, guys. So give me a couple weeks to you know refresh the batteries, and uh, maybe I'll come back at it a little bit later down the road. But I do still have it on my radar, and it will still happen. And uh, Seth, I know not to even ask if you have any comments on Linux, uh, on Arch or LXDE, because it's not popular. My, my hat's off to you for doing it, so <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, he, I think it's kind of cool, though, that he did like LXDE once he got to play with the actual interface. Um, and I find that a lot. Once you get a, a, your head around the LXD way, you find out that it is fast. It's in highly or uh configurable configurable so <laughs> and i you know uh, i i i say lxde and i've said this about uh web tools like drupal for example drupal is a, a amazingly powerful super great web platform as long as you want to do everything yourself so you know wordpress is here is a building you can arrange the chairs in it however you want drupal is here's a pile of lumber a box of screws and a hammer go to work um and that's that's what lxde is here's here's a pile of lumber a box of screws and and a picture from ikea that somebody drew up figure out how to make it like you want it um and if you're into that sort of thing then it's great but if you're not if you just want to buy a house and move in then you have to do what like lubuntu and and the last time we mentioned lubuntu in the chat room i think it was doubt it was somebody said that they hated the fact that Ubuntu takes your choice away from you. It's pre-configured. So, you know, you get the same sort of thing. You get, uh, I like configurability, and you have, why the heck should I have to uh, edit an, an XML file? I come down on the latter side of that. Why in 2013 would anybody ever expect me to edit a, an XML file? Why? What's the point? Um, but, you know, that's what it is. It's here's your, here's your hammer and your bag of nails. Go to work. Um, it's yeah. not for me. See, and I've actually come back a couple of times to uh, a, a distribution I've I've talked about before called CrunchBang. Um, I, I was watching some YouTuber comments on CrunchBang today, and I noticed that uh, they've come a little, they've changed the way they they drop CrunchBang into your lap, and it's kind of a neat little way that they've done a whole bunch of hotkeys. And I know I'm probably never going to do a 30 day of CrunchBang because I think I'd probably blow my head off first. Um, but it's an it is a nice distribution. Uh, the people that are behind Crunchbang do a great job. That interface is slick looking. Um, it's just not for me. And there are fans of Crunchbang, absolutely. Um, I'm just I come down somewhere between Unity and LXDE. I want something pre-configured, but not that pre-configured. Oh, I think okay. Unity, people that use Unity should have their head examined personally. <laughs> um, and uh, last bit of listener feedback. I told you it was a lot, guys. Uh, from, I'm going to say Josue is his name. Uh, and he has a newbie tip. He says, hi, first of all, thanks for the Everyday Linux podcast. You guys do a great job of keeping in, keeping it informative and very fun. I wanted to share with you a site I found, which is great for newbies like me. Also, thanks for introducing me to the Linux Academy. Great site. And the site he recommends is linuxhomenetworking.com. I am unfamiliar with it. 
in any way. I know nothing about it other than Joe Sway recommends it, and it's called LinuxHomeNetworking.com. But he said you guys should know about it, so I'm putting it out there. Hmm. I've never heard of this site. I'll have to look at, look through it and see what it has. It looks like uh, it's a PDF-based um, uh, tutorial site. That's my quick assessment having clicked on it as I started talking about it. So there's all manner of tutorials about setting up your own servers and your own network and they're um, uh, unitized. Everything is own unit and you just click through and, and read the introduction and read the homework and uh, with pictures and stuff like that. So there you go. Huh? Linux home networking.com. So I began uh, the the listener feedback with somebody saying he hates us and ended with a guy saying he loves us. Uh, so I, I would say that you were all well represented uh, all the way around. Uh, thanks for the bevy of listener feedback this week. However, I have just totally blown my wad. I got nothing else. I used every bit of feedback that we've got, which means if you want next week's show to have any listener feedback at all, you got to get out there. And you got to start sending emails and making voicemails and that sort of stuff. Go to every, uh, excuse me, go to uh, elementop.com, uh, click on the contact us button at the top of the page, or send uh, an email to edl at every, uh, I keep saying everydaylinux.com. I couldn't get that URL. edl at elementop.com. Uh, and, uh, those, both of those will go to us and, uh, we will review them. We will answer them. We will, uh, say dirty things about, the, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, also <laughs> if you, if you want to be, uh, if you have your voice be heard in a literal way, you can use the call us widget at the top of the page at element at op.com. Uh, and Google voice will give you a call and you can leave us a voicemail. Or if you're just out there driving around as you listen to this, this ridiculously large podcast file on your mobile device, you can pause it right now, pick up the phone anytime, anywhere in the con, uh, the North American continent, uh, dial five, five, nine, I am Opie. And, uh, you will be connected to said Google voice mailbox. Leave us a message. Keep it brief and I will play it on the air. If you live outside the country, don't want to do that, you can simply pull out your recording device of choice, make me a recording, and it's okay. You can do it in Aug Vorbis format. I'm fine with that. Uh, send it to me, and uh, I will put that on the show because we love hearing from you. Thanks for your feedback, guys. And whew, I am done. Do we have any uh, command line tips of the week? Yes, actually. We do. Um, this is a more, uh, let's see, I've used this command line tip before, but I figured I'd dive into a little bit deeper this time. This is the alias command. Um, I know that I've, I've touched on it before with that you can make different shortcut commands while you're in the terminal. And that's how, an alias is how you do it. It's um, like for a couple of different boxes, I have the, like on the fog server, instead of going in, uh, the oh, and I just forgot the app get update and app get dist or dist upgrade or upgrade. I have those set up as an alias, so I don't have to tap type that in every time. I just type in update if I wanted to update the repositories or upgrade if I'm doing an upgrade, and then dist upgrade if I'm doing the whole thing. I don't have to type in sudo and all that because I put all of that in as an alias. So it automatically asks me for the, the root password when I just type in update. Um, 
there's a lot of things you can do with aliases and i i found that sometimes if they're a machine that reboots a lot you can lose your alias so i've also put a link in our show notes about how to make an alias a little bit more permanent and this is a, a if you're going to be in the command line you might as well get used to editing your config files and this is how to configure the uh, a hidden file called bashrc that you could put in alias commands inside of them and then that way these the alias command stays permanent and you can also copy this file to bring it to whatever computer you want those aliases to go with as well so here's a couple of different ways to make your life in the terminal a little bit easier by using alias um, it's one of those tools that when you start using it just like screen you'll realize that why were you doing things so hard before Okay. None of that really appeals to me in any way, so I'm not going to comment on it and say, can you catch a cat? Hey, I uh, I wanted to throw a link out there this week to drive people crazy. So this is a long URL. It will be in the show notes. Uh, you can see go in there and just see if you are able to catch this cat. This cat jumps around the screen, and you have to try to stop it from getting off the screen. I hate uh, this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 stupid and addicting and I will be up till midnight doing this stupid thing. Thank you, Seth. It, it, it took me it took me like probably a dozen times before I was actually able to catch it. So um I, I didn't count, but I did get frustrated. So there you go. See if you too can catch a cat. I posted it in the chat room and it'll be in the show notes. Chris, so, uh, so, you look like you're loving it already. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's got his cheese gritted. So there, there's, this, there's these dots with, with a cat on it. And you click a dot, and the cat moves. And that's pretty much the whole have, game. You have to keep the cat from getting off of the board. And then once you get it encircled you have to get it to where it's unable to move but so you make a big circle then you make a small then you know you go through and make the circle smaller so there you go yeah and i'm sorry that seth was advance. talking and i didn't uh have the camera on him because i was trying to catch the stupid cat it's annoying oh my god <laughs> ah. hey you know i gave you one dimensional tetris so this is kind of the opposite end of that spectrum yeah i found that one dimensional tetris stopped counting up after a while did you did you have that same experience no matter how long you let it go your your top score topped out you know i don't remember um it's been a while since i looked at that but yeah um and I always ha I always shut my computer down. I don't leave it running all the time. So I never got to that point, I don't think. So uh, catch the cat, anyway. Uh, I, I am talked out. A an hour and 45 minutes in, my throat is sore. I'm tired of talking to you people, and I want you to go away now. Uh, thanks for listening, and that ends this episode of Everyday.